Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting. Generally, it's safe to say that things don't change very quickly here in Napa. However, if we look historically, there certainly have been times when waves of change wash over the county, much like the evening fog coming over the Maya Camus. I would argue that we're going through such a period now, this time a period of generational change. Mary Luros on the City Council, the election to the County Board of Supervisors of Alfredo Pedroza, Bilia Ramos, and Ryan Gregory are a few of the prime examples. Another is the ascension of Napa County's new District Attorney, Allison Haley, succeeding Gary Lieberstein. Haley is not only the first woman to be Napa's top prosecutor, but at 43, She's one of the youngest. I think in my 20 years around here, there's been very slow and very limited turnover in the district attorney position. It's now my pleasure to welcome Allison Haley to that position and to the program here on NapaBroadcasting.com. Allison, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. First of all, give us a little capsule of uh, how you came to Napa. You've been here for about 12 years and how you wound up in the uh, Napa County District Attorney's Office. Absolutely. About 12, going on 13 years ago, my husband and I went on a road trip. My husband does not fly, so our vacations are relegated to road trips. We spent one night in Napa, and 11 weeks later, we had secured a rental in Carneros, and I had a job at the Napa County DA's office. What was it about Napa that was so appealing? My husband had lived for several years in Idaho. Uh, He wanted to live somewhere beautiful. At the time, we were living in Southern Orange County, and I had a a four-hour-a-day commute to my office in downtown Los Angeles. We had wanted to start a family, and we knew that that was not a sustainable lifestyle (laughs) for us. We were looking to live in the same community that we worked in. And like I said, for my husband, it was so important that he lived somewhere beautiful one night, and we've never looked back. And before you came to the DA's office here in Napa, what were you doing in, in L.A.? I was an assistant chief counsel with the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, I was in the Los Angeles office. It was brand new then. That was about 2003. We moved here to Napa in 2005. I worked there for two years. And what did that involve? I mean, as you say, that was really the beginning. The Department of Homeland Security was, what, 2001, 2002 that Mm -hmm. it was established? I had a very unique position. I worked specifically with looking to relocate this is it's in such an unusual position sex offenders so for example if you were a convicted sex offender here in the united states but you were a national of say yemen we're not going to return you to your country of origin because potentially that could violate the convention against torture we would look for other locations to remove you from the united states based on that violent and serious criminal conviction. It's a very unique niche. I had been interested in those kinds of crimes in that particular population for some time. It carried over into my career at the district attorney's office, but I had that very unique position at the Department of Homeland Security. Lawyers who are interested in the, in the criminal justice area always seem like they have to make a decision at some point in their lives, and, and oftentimes they change that decision, but they have to make a decision whether they're going to be defense lawyers or prosecutors. How did that go for you? I had gone to law school absolutely believing that I would go into defense work. Um, I had a turbulent upbringing, childhood, and when I say turbulent, it's that I, I, my childhood intersected with the criminal justice system in that my father was imprisoned when I was a late teenager and early, early adult. Because of that, I had a very strong soft spot 
for working on the defense work. I think at some point, uh, maybe in the first three years of my legal practice, it became apparent to me that if I wanted to do justice, if I wanted to actually have power about doing the right thing every day, where my job is to get paid to do the right thing every day and to be honest every day, I wanted to go into prosecution work. And did you have a sense at that point where you wanted to do it? Certainly uh, what you're talking about in, in terms of the justice aspect of criminal justice, there's certainly that opportunity, it seems, in local communities and counties and, and even on the state level, a little different on, on the federal level. Absolutely. Um, I think it became very important to me after my marriage, looking to start a family, that I wanted to work in the area that I lived. I very much wanted to be a part of creating an environment where people can live quiet, happy lives. I think when you're an adult of a turbulent upbringing as a child, I value stability and safety and quiet in a way that maybe other people don't. And so that became very, very important to me that my, um, while my aspirations may be high within my office, I'm very, very happy to be serving at this level. And when you went into the prosecutor's office, to the district attorney's office in Napa, and, and you did it, as you said before, very quickly, it was sort of literally overnight, what surprised you? What struck you the most about the criminal justice system and the DA's office in Napa. What were some of the early things that, that you really took note of? That the office very much, even at that time, felt like a family, that you were responsible to each other about what happened in the courtroom. And I think that that's something that I, I certainly want to be moving forward with as we go on, that the accountability about how my performance in the courtroom, I was held accountable by my coworkers, that there was a an interest as a collective that justice be done. Um, it's not, in a, and maybe I can compare it to my work in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, there were three floors of attorneys and no one knew my name, and they we all had work to do. In Napa, uh, there are 22, 23 attorneys if we're fully staffed, and we all know what's going on. We all know what each other is going to court to do and what happening that day. And there is accountability, not just to the management level, but to each other. I felt at an early stage, I wanted to make my coworkers proud of me. I wanted to be proud of them in the courtroom because of the caliber of the work, of the bravery that they were showing in the courtroom. That became very apparent to me early on. And did you have a sense early on, A, that you wanted to stay there for a long time, and B, that you wanted to rise up through the ranks in the DA's office here? Yes and no. So I very early believed that I wanted to grow roots somewhere, that I could see myself pursuing a career of a lifetime there at the Napa County DA's office. I think I talked about it in my interview, that I, I, I very much, again, wanted that stability to create a home in my workplace. I did not. In fact, I did not want to ascend <laughs> for quite some time. In fact, I, um, I avoided it for, for a, a long period of time. I am very good at taking care of my cases and shutting my door. <laughs> so, yes and no. And now that you have ascended and now that you have responsibilities that are administrative and uh, 
beyond just taking care of the cases, as you say. Talk a little bit about how that changes your view of, of what you want to do and how you can accomplish those personal goals that are important to you in your work. Oh, that's such a big question. Ascending into the position that I'm in now takes you away from the nuts and bolts of the everyday, the individual case, and allows you, and I I often uh, use this example, of it's kind of like being at a party. And when you're a line deputy, you can sit out on the patio with the group of people and you can all talk about your individual cases. But when you ascend, you start looking at that party from the balcony. And you're upstairs on the balcony, and you're looking down at the party happening below you. And what I mean by that is that now I start to see the systems. I start being able to influence policy. I start being able to determine what areas are going to be focused on. That ability to change the theme of the party is sort of how I have found ascending and moving up towards management. So not only the types of cases, um, it, it involves um, other aspects of the office. So you know, not only do I have lawyers, I have investigators, I have a secretarial staff, I have a victim witness advocate team. There's a lot of other systems in place that I can start looking at from that macro level. And looking at it that way, talk a little bit about how the party, to use your analogy, how the party has changed over the years. Your predecessor, Gary Lieberstein, and I have had so many conversations about gang issues, for example, when that was a very, very critical issue here in Napa. That's still an important issue, but there are other things that have come along that are more complex and more really of concern to the community. Talk a little bit about how you've seen that shift and change and and where you think it's going. One of the things that I think has become quite apparent is the shifting opinions of uh, the people of the state of California regarding controlled substances. And so uh, the lessening of the interest in the, in the continued criminalization of personal use of controlled substances versus the heightened interest in issues such as human trafficking, sex trafficking, illegal residential brothels, this kind of behavior. So you kind of see we're not as interested uh, in possession, in personal use, in marijuana, mm-hmm. in these kinds of issues, and a heightened interest in how we're treating particularly our children, how we are trafficking people, how we're moving them through jurisdiction through jurisdiction. And you're starting to see a shift in interest uh, from both law enforcement side um, as, as we move forward through that shift. Certainly one of the larger themes that, that we all deal with in terms of the national level is, is lots of talk about economic disparity. Mm-hmm. Napa, because of its uniqueness as a community, certainly has a significant amount of that, and arguably it will continue to grow, and that has an impact on crime and justice in the community. Talk a little bit about how you see that with respect to Napa. Of course, we're seeing the... Um, 
the focus of our criminal behavior, our cases are coming out of the city of Napa. We are certainly seeing a burgeoning issue coming from American Canyon. One of the things that we have seen statistically has gone really through the roof is this issue of mail theft. Um, We see that a lot through American Canyon, a lot through Napa. Um, In fact, I've been a victim of it just this weekend myself, um, where people are going through mail, this identity theft, stolen credit cards, um, using uh, gift cards, credit cards, uh, using those magnetic strips to have different information on them, and it causing a number of problems for victims. First, it's, it's very difficult to straighten that out. Uh, those kinds of things can be on credit ratings for quite some time and victimization continuing for quite some time. Very hard uh, to work on from the law enforcement side because typically these people that are involved in that kind of behavior are going from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Um, So sometimes it's difficult to be able to hook those things together. We're definitely seeing that, and we're seeing it also coming from Up Valley as well, these rural jurisdictions where mailboxes are sort of isolated. Um, So we are certainly seeing that kind of behavior. And it has been an interest in law enforcement. And one thing I'd like to add to that as well, one of the things that I want to be improving in the district attorney's office is our training. And uh, under that umbrella, the district attorney's office has hosted trainings bringing in detectives from Walnut Creek and Pleasanton and so forth to train not only our prosecutors but our law enforcement about how to do those investigations and how to prosecute them so that we secure those con- convictions in years as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Is cybercrime something that falls under local jurisdiction? Most of it is, is sort of broader in scope than that, but is it something the district attorney's office has to keep an eye on? Oh, absolutely. I think that... Uh, I think that we would be derelict if we did not. It touches, <laughs> it touches all all walks, and we absolutely. And I think the district attorney's office does a, a very nice job now of being able to inform victims of what's moving on. But boy, we could do a better job. Talk a little bit about some of the other things that you would like to focus on. Obviously, not tomorrow, but over the next four, five, six years, in terms of of changes that you would like to make. I've alluded to it or spoken of it before, the training. I think that we are in this wonderful situation of being a place people want to go. And boy, I want to capitalize on that. Um, Just last year, we had a Bay Area Regional training for um, PC290 registrants, which probably doesn't mean a lot to you. But to me, that signals that how do we maintain track of our sex offender registrants, our PC290 registrants? How do we maintain their registration? how do we uh, investigate and prosecute persons that are outside of the confines of their registration? We hosted, Napa, or the Napa County DA's office hosted multiple uh, Bay Area counties to come to Napa. It sells itself to come and learn about that. I want to be, see more of those kinds of things where it benefits not only our local law enforcement, but our prosecutors and invite other DA's offices to take advantage of that as well. One of the things that came up in your conversations with the Board of Supervisors in in your interview with them was this whole idea of conviction rates. Talk a little bit about that and what it really means, because it's one of those things that, that often fall under that category of statistics not lying, but they don't always tell the same story either if you handle them in different ways. 
So it depends on how you define a conviction rate. If you mean that it's, you know, how many guilty verdicts we get, that's going to be one rate. So that is a subset of all of our cases, only those cases that go to jury trial, and then how many of those are convicted. If you mean how many cases that we file, we ultimately take some variety of plea to, a guilty plea to a misdemeanor or to a felony, that's going to be a different number. But I'll tell you, And I understand why people think that conviction rates are very important, and they are important, but they are not the only picture of the health of a district attorney's office. The district attorney's office job is not to win cases. It is to do justice. And sometimes justice means dismissing a case. And sometimes justice means reducing a case from a felony to a misdemeanor. Sometimes it means recognizing the difference between criminal conduct and conduct that's generated from either substance abuse or mental health issues. They're not going to show up in a conviction rate. The conviction rate is not the only picture of health of a DA's office. Of course, the conviction rate is important. People are very interested in it. But I'll tell you, if you really want to know the health of a DA's office, you ask other questions. You ask questions like, how long does it take for your office to process a case from the moment it hits the door until its first day in court? Because if that period of time is very long and you have vulnerable victims like children or the elderly or the disabled, that DA's office is not doing a good job. Or that's an area that is unhealthy and needs to be improved. So there are a number of measuring sticks for a DA's office. Conviction rate is simply one of them. Do you have a sense of some of the issues that you think that the community is concerned about? What do you hear from people, even in uh, the, the time you've been in the DA's office in general and even in the short time that, that you've been the district attorney? What are you, what are you hearing from the community? There's a very strong interest in sex trafficking, in human trafficking, particularly as it relates to underage persons that are being trafficked. There, is, there seems to be, um, and that's statewide. We're seeing that statewide, but I am certainly hearing a particularized interest in those kinds of issues in the Napa community. Uh, elder abuse. I've had a number of people approach me about the vulnerability of our elderly population, about economic abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, that kind of emotional abuse that's going on, and how it is a particularly vulnerable community. One of the things I told the Board of Supervisors that if in five years, I told them, I promised them, in five years I want to come before you and I want you I want to ask you to fund, I want a forensic accountant. I want to hire someone in-house to help us go through records, to go through mortgage transactions, to go over bank accounts, to go over trustee accounts, to go over that so that we can better, do a better job of identifying embezzlement, financial abuse, elder abuse, that kind of economic abuse of these vulnerable populations. Frankly, other counties have them, and I'm jealous. I want one because I think that we can do a better job uh, providing those services to those particular communities. But I know that that has been something that's been brought up to me. The mail theft certainly has been brought up to me. I know that it's quite a nuisance for people to realize that loans are being taken out, that cars are being purchased in their name. Uh, That has been something that's come up both through law enforcement and um, to me personally. Talk a little bit about the nexus between the DA's office and law enforcement 
and ways in which that's working well in Napa and ways in which you'd like to see maybe it, it improve in certain respects? Very early on in my career, it became very important to me. And I, and I really can't put my finger on how I knew it or why, but I knew that I wanted to be very accessible to my law enforcement I knew that the more communication I had with them, the better training was going on. The more I understood about their job and the more that I could communicate about my job, I felt that we were going to be in a better position. I think I have incredibly good relationships with the head of both departments. And when I say both departments, the ones I work with most often, Napa PD and the SO. Um, That kind of accessibility, both to me and, and over to them, incredibly helpful as we coordinate efforts on major cases and on less serious cases. I am proud of the relationships that I have established with those agencies and that I encourage my office to continue to do. For example, it's, it's, it's little stuff. Um, if one of my deputies issues a subpoena, or excuse me, one of my deputies issues a subpoena for law enforcement for a preliminary hearing. The policy now is that that deputy, my deputy, personally contacts that law enforcement officer so that they know, what am I going to be asked? What are you expecting? What can I be expecting when I go into the courtroom? What should I, there's communications that I don't have wasted time I don't have law enforcement officers sitting in a hallway not knowing what's happening with cases. I want there to be the establishment of that relationship. I think it makes for better cases. It makes for more communication that benefits all the parties in a criminal case. And I want to be a good fiduciary of time and money from all these agencies, not just mine. One of the issues certainly that's going to come up more so in the next uh, several years is the whole issue of immigration cases of of sanctuary cities, sanctuary counties, how uh, various communities deal with those issues. Talk a little bit about your views on some of those things. I was asked recently by the Napa Register uh, how I thought our office's communication with the Latino community was. And I paused and I said, frankly, I think other departments do it better. And since that time, I have made overt efforts to reach out to those communities so that they know that they have access to me and that there can be ongoing communication. Um, I think the reason that I am a prosecutor is because every day I am paid to do the right thing. I am less interested in a statement or a designation of a sanctuary city. I am more interested in every day with every case that comes across my desk to do the right thing in that case, meaning I am picking up the phone and I'm communicating with law enforcement. I'm communicating with my victims in my cases. I am communicating with defense attorneys and I'm communicating with the court. If those things can happen, I'm making the right decisions every day in those cases. The issues of sanctuary, those aren't, those aren't on my desk. My desk is my on my desk is to do the right thing in those cases. Mm-hmm. But those issues are going to arise from time to time, and and there may be more complex aspects to it as things evolve nationally, mm-hmm. statewide, and whatever the pressures might be. We can only imagine at this point. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard to say. Uh, there's a lot that's unknown as right. you, as I you agree. identify. Uh, 
I'm not under the same kind of strictures, certainly, that the sheriff's department or the police department are. I can tell you that our office does a, a very good job of treating every case the same. We treat every case the same. We, and that's not to say that we aren't looking at individual factors of the case, but if someone believes that um, we're running uh, to determine whether a victim or a defendant or so forth is legal or illegal, that's simply not the work of the, dif- of the DA's office. I'm interested in making victims whole. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have any interest in what your country of origin is. If you're victimized in Napa County, my interest is in making you whole. And to what extent has Prop 47 and some of the other measures, particularly that, affected how you look at some of these cases? Can you unpack that a little bit? In other words, cases, whether they're felonies or misdemeanors and how that's changed under Prop 47 and how your efforts to make the victim whole is impacted by really the way the the law has changed. You know, I think that sometimes people confuse issues of separation of powers in the sense that I am here to enforce the laws as they are, not necessarily what I want or think or my personal opinion aside. Um, We certainly have seen a large shift lately in what the people of the state of California Mm -hmm. want us to focus on. My job is to listen to my clients. And um, even if sometimes I disagree personally with some of those decisions that have been ma- that have been made, how would you define the culture of the DA's office today? Oh, that's hard to say because now that I'm uh, I've ascended, it's it's hard to know. I you know everyone wants me to think one thing. I think that the honest <laughs> answer uh, is that it's very important to me that the DA's office is worthy of the professional caliber of attorneys that we have. And let me unpack that a little bit for you. It's very important to me that my that the lawyers in the office and all staff in the office, my investigators, secretarial staff, feel confident to be brave, that I have their back, that um, they can go into the courtroom and do brave, courageous things in the pursuit of doing the right thing. Um, I have seen... I have seen lawyers take difficult cases, difficult child molest cases, difficult cases to court, and I am unbelievably proud of them. I have tried, even in my introverted, shy way, to tell those attorneys to their face, I appreciate what you're doing, that what you did in this case was not easy and not everyone would have done it. I want them to feel that. I want them to know that I work for them they don't work for me, and that that my job is to make this place someplace that you want to be proud to work in. I know that um, I have instituted a lot more accountability in the office than has been there in previous years, and I think that that was initially met with some resistance and some concern. But I'll tell you, it's accountability not for accountability's sake. It's not to get people in trouble. (laughs) It's accountability so that you get better. And so that you can walk into the courtroom and be confident that you have the training and the knowledge and the courage to do those harder things to do in the courtroom. Um, I'm hoping that other people would say that that was the culture in the office right now. And finally, you talk about being shy and introverted, but mm-hmm. you're in an office where you're going to have to run for election in, yes, uh, in a couple of years. And I'm sure times after that, if you're elected, talk a little bit about the prospect of running for office and how you see that. 
I can absolutely do events, even what I'm doing right now, speaking as much as I am about myself, about my office, but I am the personality type that pays a cost for that later. It's more exhausting, I think, to someone like me, rather than an extrovert who feeds off of it and it provides them energy. Um, the prospect of it is it it requires me to be brave. Just like I ask my attorneys to be in the courtroom, I have got to stop being a hypocrite <laughs> and turn around and ask myself to do that as well. A story, if we have the time, sure. I don't mean to. Um, a story that I told recently, in fact, at my swearing in, when I had my daughter, I put a poster on her wall that, before she was even born that said, be brave. And I would talk to her, and I talk to her now about ignoring dissenters and doing the courageous thing that will always have her back. And it dawned on me that my fear of ascending, <laughs> what a hypocrite I was. I'm asking my daughter to break, shatter ceilings and bite off more than she can chew, but I was too afraid to. Is it something that is a frightening prospect? I would be lying to say that it wasn't. It's requiring me to be brave, and that's worthy of me. Napa County District Attorney Allison Haley, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, sir. What a pleasure. Thank you. Wine, food, talk. NapaBroadcasting.com.